0: Whoa, pretty cool. <laughs> that's that's right. Alright, good morning everyone. So good to be together, worshiping God together. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jonathan Hupp, and I'm a pastor here with Blumont, and... Man, it just really is good to be gathered with friends and in God's presence in a unique way, and worshiping Him. And I believe He's got I'm really excited about what um, what we're going to be looking at from from God's Word today. We, I, I've been thinking this past week about just how tumultuous the times are that we live in, and obviously the the Las Vegas incident from from last Monday is just such a tragic event, and. It just seems that, you know, certainly the, the world, there's a lot going on, from natural disasters to violence to, to all sorts of things. And one thing that is very encouraging to me is that yesterday we did a, a class, uh, an Old Testament survey class, we called it Old Testament Toe Dip, and we're just looking through the, the the history of the Old Testament. And it's amazing, one of the things that the book of Ecclesiastes says is there's nothing new under the sun. And there... This, there has been tumult and chaos and all sorts of brokenness in the world from the very beginning. And what's encouraging to me, especially when you look at history, is to see how faithful God has been. You see, it's, it shows us how, how depraved and broken people are, but also how faithful God is. And not only in coming through for, for us in our, in our time of need, but also in, in raising up his people. To bring answers and bring hope and bring life. And it's, it's really, you know, kind of makes me proud as a, as a Christian to see, like in, in Florida and, and Texas, that the vast majority of people that are bringing relief and help and, and coming into the situation after the hurricane is believers and churches that are mobilizing and giving to help. And that's really our, call, as, our calling as people of God, is to, to have answers for the world. And today we're starting a, a series, we're gonna do this a month called History Shapers. And it's it's inspired by the fact that this month marks 500 years since one of the most impactful events in all of human history, the Protestant Reformation. And I remember some of you, many of you were too young, or maybe not even born to remember this, but at the turn of the millennium in 2000, there were a whole bunch of lists of what were the most impactful events, and most impactful people. Of the last millennium, the last a thousand years, and at the top of the list were uh, Martin Luther as the most influential person, and the, the start of the Protestant Reformation, which was when he took this this list of the 95 theses, is what it's called, 95 objections he had to some of the corrupt practices going on in the Catholic Church, and nailed it on this board, this door of the church in Wittenberg, uh, which was actually Wittenberg was a college town, kind of like Manhattan. It was, there was There's a University of Wittenberg there. And it was, a, it was a call to, this was actually what you would do when you would be asking the academics to debate an issue of importance. And so other people would do this too, but he stuck that on the door and it ignited a, a firestorm that was just ready to ignite. And we're going to be talking over the next month about some of the highlights of the Reformation and the values that, that come from that. I want to be cl- clear that we're not about Catholic bashing, and it's not anything about, we're trying to be careful. There are, God has had his people throughout history. And even the institution of the church is, is not our enemy. There is an, there's important to have order and structure. And there have been people of God all throughout history. But there also has been corruption um, throughout history. And at this time in history, there was, there was a whole lot of corruption in the Catholic church, which was set up as the one way people knew to connect with God and, and have a path to God. And so there were some essential reforms that were needed for people to come into a, a right relationship with God and to honor, to live the life that God has for them. But So 500 years ago, actually on October 31st, um, we, we know it as Halloween, but it's really a day that, that made the devil shudder, when 33-year-old Martin Luther nailed these 95 theses um, it was the, the full name was On the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences. We're going to talk a little bit about that this month. But he nailed it to the door. And the world that we live in today has been more shaped by what broke loose 500 years ago than we know. The way we think of individuals and individual rights has been hugely shaped by that. The way our political systems are and the many of the political freedoms that we have came from many of the theological insights about who God is and how we relate to him. Our, the, the financial free, uh, blessings that we have, much of that can be connected to the, the beliefs and the values and the truths that came forth from the Reformation. And, the, these, and so these are, these are principles to not only remember. It is important to remember history. It's been said that if you don't remember history, you're doomed to repeat it. And so and that's a lot of, like, the Bible is, is telling, hey, this is what happened Learn from it so you can not make the same mistakes. And so, so we do want to remember history, but we don't just want to glorify you know, a bunch of people who dressed funny 500 years ago. Like, you know, that was, that's, they were so great. But there, it's more about what were the principles, the truths, and the people that God used 500 years ago to shape history. Because they're the same types of principles and truths and people that God has used throughout history. And they're the same kinds of people and principles and truths that God uses today to shape history. And the more we get this inside of us, the more we can be in the middle of what God is doing. And the the principle we're looking at today is one of the hallmarks of the Reformation. It's this this phrase, this rallying cry, called the priesthood of every believer. The priesthood of every believer. And what does that mean? Well, in, in the Roman Catholic Church... And in many religious systems, actually, probably every religious, most religious systems, the priests are a separate class. And it's like there are the normal people, and then there are the priests. And in that system, if, to, to have your sins forgiven, you needed to go through a priest. To partake of communion or the Lord's Supper, that needed to be through a priest. To, be, to go to heaven, you had to go to a mass or a church service. And if you didn't do that, there was no way to God. But through this religious system and through the, the interme- intermediaries, the priests, um, there were, you know, out of that, uh, there were a whole bunch of, of abuses that, that came. And unfortunately, a lot of times people are afraid of, you know, what if, what if normal people read the Bible and they interpret it wrongly? Man, we've we got to be careful. We need to have the professionals like help us know what the Bible says. And it's true that we need to look at, at, at other believers in history and not, not just being independent. But what's interesting is that if one person interprets the Bible incorrectly, you've got one person who's got bad theology and bad practice. But often what happens is, is religious leaders interpret the Bible wrongly. And it doesn't just affect their life, but it affects all the people who were trusting them. And that's what had happened 500 years ago. There were all sorts of very ungodly beliefs that were losing out on the truths of, of salvation by faith in Jesus and that it's, it's through Jesus and not through. There was a, a tendency to, to think that our salvation came through works and being good people. And so there was even the worst, there, there, were, there was horrible corruption and immorality among many church leaders. Um, but some of the practices where people would feel like, well, you know, I'm probably not good enough to have a good, enough good works to go to heaven when I die. But there are these saints, these holy people who lived before, and they had more than enough. And so the church set up this system where if you would pay money to the church, it was called indulgences, and that's a lot of what the 95 Thesis was about. If you paid money to the church, then you could get money taken off of your time in purgatory. After you died, so there was in this system heaven and hell and this purgatory place that was like one step above hell. And if you paid money, you could you could take years off the time in purgatory either for yourself or for your loved ones. And so there's also this thing of relics, where there were these 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 material things that were purported to be uh, connected to the lives of the apostles or Jesus or or Mary. And in fact, the Church of Wittenberg or Wittenberg, we should say. I'm not a very good German speaker, <clears throat> but they, that place where, where Luther nailed the 95 Theses, they had over 5,000 relics. So pretty much any Bible story you could think of, they had some like stone that was part of the stone where Jesus stood when he cried the night before he died, um, or pieces of the cross. There were like 5,000 of these relics and 13,000 bone fragments of the saints in this church. So there was an amazing collection. And some, some pretty weird ones, too. There was a vial of, of milk that was supposed to be the breast milk of, of Mary. And there were pieces of the swaddling clothes or the diaper of Jesus that were in this church. And so, and that this was a this was a center of all that. And so you could actually go to this church in Wittenberg, and if you walked by all the shrines of the relics and paid the money, you could take off 1.9 million years off your time in purgatory. That's pretty good. (laughs) You know, I mean, I would be lining up for that, for sure. And so, there's this whole system set up, but the, the idea is that for you to get to God, you need an intermediary. You need Priest and this religious system to go through in order for you to maybe not even be made right with God, but be closer to being made right with God. And so you can think about just the incredible power that that, that, that the religious class would have. Martin Luther was a monk, he was a Catholic priest. Because of his desire, he turned down a career in law because he wanted to get close to God. He was just racked with a sense of guilt and falling short, and not, not being right with God. And somewhere in his wrestlings, he had the revelation that this is not what the Scripture teaches. But Jesus has made, a, made the way for us to come to God directly through faith in Him. And this is spelled out in, in 1 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verse 5. We read, For there is one God, and one mediator between God and God. And mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. There is one God, one mediator. The only one we need to come through to get to God is God himself, Jesus, who became a man and lived a perfect life and died on the cross so that, to take the place of our sins so that we could know God. There is one mediator. The Bible not only says that. But it says, because of what Jesus did, actually he calls all of us, he calls us priests. And this in, it's not a special class, but it's it's what all of us are are, are identified as. In first Peter chapter two, verse nine, the apostle Peter writes, and he says, But says to all believers, but you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So saying that the priesthood is not a special class for those who go through years of, of training or seminary and take vows of poverty and chastity, or it's not, as it was in the Old Testament, as one of the tribes of twelve, and you had to be a male. But It's like, no, everyone who is adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus is part of this royal priesthood. And that, that's, you can imagine how radical that was to people that had, been, had no idea that there was a way to come to God um, directly in this way. And so, I'm here telling you today that if you're a believer in Jesus, you're a priest. And you may be going like, well, I don't know like, that I want to be a priest. You know, we have certain stereotypes of priests that maybe, you know, maybe is good, maybe is not. I was thinking about this, it actually reminded me, when I was in 7th grade, one thing that boys do in particular is they give each other nicknames, right? We could probably have a lot of fun going around the room and all the different nicknames that we've been called, and for some reason, I always had a lot of nicknames. And in 7th grade, halfway through the year, I moved to this school, it was actually a missionary school in the nation of Taiwan where my parents were serving as missionaries, and so there were a lot of uh, other kids whose parents were missionaries, and there were um, other people from the business community. And I got the nickname Priest. They started calling me the Priest. And a you know, part of me kind of like wanted to think that that was because like, it seemed like I had a close relationship with God and I was a caring individual. But a bigger part of me knew that the connotations of that was just not so glamorous, not so noble. It was more that I was just a really stiff and awkward individual. <laughs> who seemed unrelatable. In fact, there's a picture here. I had the courage. This is my seventh grade. Um, this is a picture from the yearbook. I'm the dude in the middle looking really awkward. <laughs> of course, the only redeeming thing about this is I always, when I saw that picture, I cringed. It's like, oh my goodness, that's so horrible. I, everyone else is cool and I'm awkward. And now I look at it and it's like, actually, everybody was, almost everybody was pretty awkward <laughs> in that picture. But when I, and I remember someone signing that, that spot in the yearbook and saying priest you know like there's the there's the evidence right there and it was just like another nickname i had was mr stiff as someone gave me and it was just that's kind of what we think of as priests as people that are stiff and awkward and unrelatable and just like what's up with that person and so that's not the what we're talking about when we're talking about the priesthood of every believer all right you don't have to look like that dude right there to live this out but there are really two things what is a priest uh, there are two aspects of this, and it's not going to be on the screen. If you're taking notes, this would probably be worth jotting down. Priests, first of all, come close to God. They get to come the closest to, to God's presence. They get to, to relate to God. In the Old Testament, where God had a the temple system and a tribe of priests, they were the ones who served in the temple, who served in the, the place where, in the Old Testament, God's presence was in one place. It was focused in one place, in a special way. And they were the ones who got to be closest to that, to offer sacrifices. There was the most holy place. And only you know, one priest, the high priest, once a year could go into that place where God's presence was centered. They got to do the holy work. They offered the sacrifices of the, the, the cows and the sheep and the other animals that would be brought into the temple and the tabernacle. They were the ones who did that holy work. Because of the sense of holy calling, they, they wore special garments. They, they were, there was a higher expectation for their life because they were closer to God, in a sense, than, than other people. Um, they had to, it was essential that before they would do their work as priests, that they had to offer a sin offering for themselves, of offering a lamb as a sin offering for themselves, to, to deal with their own sins and to acknowledge their own sins, and then go and help off, pre- prepare and uh, deliver the sacrifices for the rest of the people. So, priests come close to God. And so that's what God has called us to as, as, a, as the priesthood of every believer. Is we are called by the blood of Jesus to come right directly into God's presence. That our sins have been atoned for. And we can live a life of, of fellowship and closeness. Friendship with God. With nobody in between us that come right up into his presence second thing priests are is priests help others connect with God. Now again, it's, I'm not saying that we have to go through a priest to connect with God because we can connect with God directly. But what a priestly role is is to help other people experience the, the compassion, the kindness, the, the goodness of God. Um, you know, again, in the Old Testament, people would bring their sacrifices to the priests who would then deliver those. But we don't do that in the same way, but God has called us as his priests to, in a sense, carry his presence to the people around us. To minister to other people his life and his goodness and his forgiveness and his truth. And we, 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 we connect, we're called to connect with people and help them experience so that they can become priests too, and so they can, they can live in their calling more fully. In the Old Testament, the, the priests had this breastplate that they would wear over their chest. And on that breastplate, it would have 12 stones, 12 stones made of precious, precious metals or precious jewels of many different bright colors, vivid colors. And each stone represented one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there was something about that that, like they carried, like they they the, the people, the lives of the people were close to their hearts. Like they were there was a there was a love and a, a closeness to the people. And in this sense of God calling us as a priesthood of all believers, that's the same heart that He gives us. That it's not just our life, but it's it's having a heart for for the people around us and carrying that close to us. Um Jesus is is In the the New Testament, especially in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus is our high priest. He is the faithful high priest. And he models this priestly function that we're to carry out. In Hebrews 2.18, it it says this. It says, for this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, the people, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So he had to become like us, to identify with us. And then it says in in chapter four, verse fifteen, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now that's one of the things you gotta love about Jesus is that he's not just a God far off going, yeah, why can't you get it right? What's wrong with you? But he became fully one of us and experienced what we experience and empathizes with us in our weaknesses, in our temptations, in our brokenness. And he knows, not that he wasn't broken, but he experienced the weakness of humanity. And he can be a good priest to us because he knows what it's like to be one of us. And that's the same heart that God gives us as his people, to connect with people and help them connect with, with God out of that heart of love. There's, so what's, what's, the, what, what's the difference between a priesthood of all believers and a, a priestly class? I just want to go through a, a, through a few distinctions. When there's a priestly class, then the role of priest is reserved for a few. That's pretty clear. I said that earlier. It's, you know, there are a few people. You go through the right training, the right, jump through the right hoops. Um, you probably have to be male in most systems. You, in the Old Testament, you had to be part of a certain tribe. Only some people could be a priest. But in priesthood of all believers, it's the identity and the calling of every believer. It doesn't matter what your nationality is, what your ethnicity is, what your gender is. It doesn't matter... You could have been a murderer. You could have been a goody-two-shoes. But it's God, the work that he does to transform you and give you this new identity. In 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 the priestly class, priests have closer access to God. They get to be closer. But in the priesthood of all believers, everyone has open access. There's an open door through Jesus that we all have access to him and come close to him. And in a priestly class, the priests have a more holy calling. There's they have a calling, and then there's everybody else. What they do is like, well, that's if you're really spiritual, you're a priest. And then the rest of us, like, you know, we're somewhere underneath that. But in a priesthood of all believers, every life and every occupation is a platform to honor God. And so whether you're a farmer, or a metal worker, or a chemist, or a teacher, or a homemaker, whatever your calling is, that is a calling from God. And it's a place, it's not any less spiritual or any less elevated than, even in our, in our Protestant world, than being a pastor or being a missionary. Or Every one of us has a calling from God, and every one of us is accountable to honor God fully with that calling. There was a lot that came out of the Reformation talking about this. I want to read one quote from Martin Luther. He said, if you are a craftsman, only look at your tools, your needle, your thimble, your beer barrel, your articles of trade, your scales, your measures, and you will find this saying written on them. My dear, use me toward your neighbor as you would want him to act toward you and that which is his. Basically what he's saying is, hey, whatever the tools of your trade, and it's your calling, if you use those in a way that is treating other people the way you want to be treated, the golden rule, if you're loving people with what's in front of you, that is a holy calling. That is a holy occupation. You are living as a priest before God. And so how, what do we do with this? How do, we, how do we live this out? I want to talk just a little bit about the, the amazing story of how the Reformation spread when it first started. Because I, I think it's just inspiring. and it, it gives a lot of, of insight into how we live out this calling of bringing God's goodness to the world around us. There was, it's amazing how quickly, from the time that those 95 theses were nailed on that door that the winds of change swept through Europe and swept through the world in an incredibly fast way. One, one person at the time said, that hardly 14 days had passed when those propositions were known throughout Germany, and within four weeks, almost all of Christendom was familiar with them. There was something just like, it spread so quickly. And there were a few things behind that. One was that, Uh, Well, at first they were written in Latin, because that was the language of the the university or the academy, and it was for scholarly debate, but once Luther and the others realized, oh my goodness, there's something happening here, people need to know this, they quickly translated it to to German, or the the different vernacular languages of the people, and it it spread quickly because of that. It's, It's well known that the printing press had been invented not too long before this, and so that aided the spread of these ideas. This, this new technology allowed the written word to be reproduced and, and multiplied quickly and spread. And what, uh, not only the 95 Theses, but then there were thousands of pamphlets that were, that were written up, and they would be just short handbills, short, a couple pages, a page or two. And they would run like a run of a thousand of those. And they would just be dispersed. And what would happen is, it wasn't through the the, the church leaders, so to speak, that most of this spread. But it was... In fact, most people couldn't read. And so what would happen a lot of times is someone would get one and you would go to the, the marketplace where, pe- where the farmers would come in and people would bring their goods and be doing business. And you would, you, there would be a place to read uh, something of public interest. And so people would read these handbills to the people that were gathered there. And then the merchants would, would spread the news everywhere they went as they were doing business. And the farmers would go back to their communities and tell in their social networks of their, their friends and their family, they would be telling what had happened. And so it was really through these informal social networks that people were getting a revelation of God's truth and telling their friends in an informal, personal way, and things were spreading. And then there were the, the written word that was being produced, and it was fascinating, I mean, the, this, this back and forth. You think you get their debates on Facebook, but it's nothing new. I mean, the reformers were publishing their stuff, and if you read it, it's like, man, they were they were really they weren't very nice. I mean, they were calling the Pope all sorts of nasty names, and, and he was the beast and the, the the Antichrist and the abomination and all this stuff. And then the other side was doing the same thing, right back and forth. And so it was a very heated debate that was going on. Um, what's also interesting is there were uh, it was um, not only the printing press, but there were th- these things called woodblocks where you could take a picture and make it and print. With, with, uh, with wood and reproduce artwork that way. And these were, well, let's go ahead and look at a couple of these. These were, even for, for illiterate people, you could get the idea. So this one was called the Troubled Church in a Sea of Discontent. And so you got a picture of the church on this boat and the, the ocean swirling. And you'd see that, you're like, yeah, that really describes the, the times that we're living in right now. And so these would, again, be multiplied and, and spread all over the place. There's another one here the devil's bagpipes. This is a picture I don't know if you can see it but the person on the left is the devil or a devil and he's playing these bagpipes. And the the sack of the bagpipe is a monk's head. And so it's it's he's basically saying that the monks are that what they're teaching and what they're they're propagating is actually the work of the devil. And these are the nice ones actually it's, it's many of the 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 woodblocks that I was looking online, they're too explicit to show in church, actually. I mean, they were like pictures of the Pope who's a half donkey, half prostitute, half snake. I mean, it's like, oh my goodness, like, you can't. this is pretty explicit. And so, and they would oftentimes, like this, they would have just a few words written, and so there would be this image and these words, and that would be what would spread the idea. Is this... Is this like, look familiar to anybody, like to a current modern form of communication. I, it's very similar to a meme, which actually, here's, here's another <laughs> meme right there. <laughs> so, but that's, it's crazy that we think like these are new things, but those are the same types of ways that things were spreading. It was also the music. Um, there were ballads that were being written, and ballads, oftentimes what people would do is they would take a, 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 a song that was well known, which would probably be a church song. And they would, take, they would make it into a, a beer, beer hall song. And so they would make it a totally secular song. Um, actually, ironically, many of the hymns that we sing today that we think are so holy and sacred, they came the other direction. Like They were beer hall songs, and then they put Christian words to them and made it a, a hymn. And so, But many of the ideas of man, this whole priesthood of all believers and access to God, it came through the songs that were being written. And there would be these these ballads, and again, people would travel around, and groups would learn them and sing them. There's another picture here that there was a really well-known guy named Hans Sachs, who was a shoemaker, but he was an incredibly prolific songwriter, and he wrote a bunch of songs that were highlighting the the truths of God and Scripture and faith and grace, and they were spreading all over. He's the guy on, on the right there, and so you'd have through this this music, the ideas were spreading all over the place. Um, Luther wrote a few songs. His first his first ballad was called and actually I get em- I get kind of emotional just hearing this this title. It was called We Are Starting to Sing a New Song. And he wrote this this ballad just about man there's a new song, there's a new freedom. There's a new just revelation of who God is and what he's done for us. And he wrote a song to to encapsulate that. And it spread um, we we think many of us he, he's, his most famous song is a mighty fortress is our God, which is a you know a bulwark of, of the church and singing. But many of these were, were simpler, uh, more more popular ballads. Probably his most most famous song was was taken. There was a song called Now We Drive Out the Winter, that was talking about how you know trying to put an end to winter, and he changed the last word of that and said Now We Drive Out the Pope. <laughs> And, and again, you read the lyrics of that. It's all about like, calling him all sorts of nasty names. And it's, it's really intense. And so, you're like, wow, that's, it's interesting. But why are you talking about that? <laughs> that was 500 years ago. But it's because these people got a revelation that we are God's people. We are God's priests. It's not just the ones with the robes. And he went to seminary. But it's us. And he's got a mission in the world. And we are experiencing this new relationship with him that we never experienced before. And we want everybody to know, because this is incredible. And that's the same calling that God has given us. Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, says says this. It says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, And has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. God has given us this role. And I believe that God is wanting to awaken us to new levels. To the calling he's given us as part of the priesthood of all believers. He's wanting to, to use you to not only be awakened, but to awaken others to their priestly calling. And you know the issues of our day are very different from the issues 500 years ago. It's probably the opposite. you know, back then it was the church was corrupt and had all the power and there was, you know, it was a corruption of religion. Today it's more godlessness and lawlessness. And I mean I look at the events from Las Vegas this past week and I go, you know, one of the questions is well, in a culture that says separation of of God and everything else, and we can't say that one truth is better than others, why shouldn't a person murder other people? What sort of absolute reference point do you have for any sort of truth? You know, the truths that need to come forth through our generation are, are different than the ones from 500 years ago, but they all tie back to God and his word and the answers that he has for people and, and the times in which we live. And so God is is wanting to, to use his us, and he is doing this, but he's using his people to awaken the world to different issues, to what's going on in the world today, and to be bringing the truth, and bringing the, the grace of God and the life of God to address those issues. And now you may not be dressing up like if someone in the 1500s or playing one of those lutes or whatever instruments they have, but God wa- is giving us creativity and wants to give you creativity. To carry out that calling in different ways. And so what do you do with this? I just want to wrap up with, with a couple next steps. And I think these are pretty cool, actually. Of all the next steps I've ever given you, I, these are maybe my favorite. <laughs> right here. Number one. This week, this would be a great, this would be a great next step to do this week, is have the most honest conversation with God you've ever had. How's that sound? A lot of times we don't do, we, 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 there's this, this middle, this hesitation about coming before God completely real and honest because of the sense of, am I really okay? What about this? What about that? What about, I'm not sure about your character, whatever it would be. But God has made the way through Jesus for us to come right into his presence, confident in him, and I encourage you to have the most honest conversation with God you've ever had this week. To say, man, God, this is what's going on. This is what I have a question about. This is, Man, these are my dreams. Lord, this is what I want to see. Whatever it looks like. To come before him as a priest and have a conversation. See what he has to say. Open up your heart to him. The second next step, and you can do as many of these or as few of these as you want. The second would be to tell someone something about God that thrills you. Yeah, like in the Reformation, like they were what the engine of all this was just the excitement. Like, wow, this is amazing. There is a freedom that we've never experienced before. There's a hope and a destiny and a purpose and a calling. And that's what God is like, and that's what he has for us. And they were so excited, they couldn't help spreading it everywhere around us. And that's the same sort of spirit that we should have. And if you're like, well, I don't know if there's anything about God that thrills me, then maybe you should, you should need to focus on number one, have an honest conversation with God. But you know, like someone told me a long time ago, that you know, if, if you're not on fire for God, it's because your wood is wet. It's not because the fire is not fiery enough or awesome enough. It's because there's something in you that hasn't realized it's, that, that needs to get inflamed, get, get caught on fire. By him. So, get on fire. And then tell someone something about God that's thrilling to you. And then the last one, number three, is sign up for Network Gifts Discovery Development Group. So, being real, real practical. There it is. We're, one of our missions as a church is to help people identify the spiritual gifts God has given you and then develop those. And we're doing a couple, something really practical over the next few weeks, couple months. At, at least one of our development groups, the Oregon Trail Development Group, we're going to be going through this, this Bible study. It's called Network Spiritual Gifts Discovery. And so we'll be going through what the Bible says about spiritual gifts and how to know what your gifts are and how to develop those. And so if you're interested in that, you can come to Oregon Trail. Um, or we're, we're open to starting more, if there are, just for the next like five, six weeks. Um, if there are people that would like to be part of a development group at a different time, we would love to have a, a group or, another group or two go through that as well. And so there's a sign-up sheet right there on that table. After our service, sign up your name, and we'll be putting those together. I, I've, I've gone through this. A few of us have gone through this. It's a great training. Okay. There you have it. Rob's going to come up. As he does that, I want to just pray for us and ask that God would help us to live out the priesthood of, of every believer. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for the open access we have with you. Thank you for the the honor and the freedom and the dignity you give us through Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that miraculously you would bring revelation and just welling up on the inside of our hearts. To know, yeah, this is who God has made me. This is the calling he's given me. This is how he views me. I have open access with him. And a calling to help others experience that too. Lord, we thank you for that. If there's anyone here this morning that hasn't come in to to that relationship with you yet, Lord, I pray that you would help them to take that step and experience fully everything you have for them. Lord, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.